Next Chapter Podcasts. This episode is brought to you by Paramount Plus. Get in, loser! Mean Girls is now streaming on Paramount Plus. Join Katie Heron as she meets the plastics and Tina Fey's new twist on the modern classic. Get ready for more of the rumors, backstabbing, and jokes you loved from the original movie with some fetch surprises. Rated PG 13. Wear pink and head to ParamountPlus.com to try it free. Little Wing is now streaming on Paramount Plus. I'm in a period of emotional people. I saw all the oh, I don't care crap. A little adventure. Where are you going? I'm gonna steal a bird from the Russian pigeon mafia. Let's do it. Goes a long way. <laughs> Starring Brooklyn Prince with Kelly Riley and Brian Cox. Life can hurt, but life is sweet. Little Wing, rated PG 13, may be inappropriate for children under 13. Now streaming exclusively on Paramount Plus. I love this song so fucking much. Hey, pretty ballalabas, keep a doo, and I'm bed, I'm a rockin' them, dear, too. Doom, doom, doom. Every lime, I'm a lime, and I'm a lean, I'm a lean, I'm a this is the best part right here. It goes boo ba do ba do bo 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 Guitar Town by Steve Earle from his 1986 debut album of the same name. It's also number 482 out of 500 on the 500 with Josh Adam Myers. That's me, the King of Fleece. What's up, Fleece Army? You guys covered? Head to toe? Fleece pants? Fleece socks? Fleece? Fleece? I hope you're wearing some, because I sure as hell am. And welcome to the only podcast where we go through Rolling Stone Magazine's list of the 500 greatest albums of all time. And we are making our way down, guys. We are at 482. We're getting there. We're down to the final episodes, man. Big party, May 31st, 2028, guys. It's going to be the shit. Uh, Thank you. To everybody that is contributing to the Instagram stories of the 500, guys. I am trying to get the word out, man. So help me do this. Give me a 24-hour ad on your Instagram page. Take a screenshot of how you're listening to the 500 and tag me. At Josh Adam Myers. Put a hashtag, the 500 podcast. And throw up a hashtag, Fleece Army. Give me 24 hours on your social media Help me, guys, because I'm literally having a breakdown, breaking down some of these records. It's me, David, and Morty, and we got Pete, and we got the other dude, Jeremiah, and it's just, it's a lot of work, and I love it so much. I'm just complaining right now because I'm like, I'm in the middle of breaking down a record, and I've got like 95 other things to do. I, I love it, guys. I'm sorry. I love this. I love it. I do. My guest this week is Tom Everett Scott. Very, very good buddy of mine, and I am so happy he sat down to talk all things Steve Earle. You might know Tom from Diary of a Wimpy Kid, The Long Haul, from ER, from Dead Man on Campus, from American Werewolf in Paris. Currently, he is a lead on the True TV hit show, I'm Sorry, on Wednesday at 10 p.m., 
but you fucking know the shit out of this dude from playing Guy Patterson, a.k.a. Shades, on That Thing You Do. He is one of the nicest guys I've ever met. Uh, I met him through my buddy Jason Gallagher and Ryan Sickler and Jay Larson, and it was an honor to sit down and talk Steve Earle with this guy. Also, guys, this album touched me. This album really got into my heartstrings. I did not think I was going to like it, and man, I fucking love this record, and I'm really excited to do this episode with you guys. Don't forget to listen to the end of the podcast where we spotlight a new artist that was directly influenced by Steve Earle. And guess what, guys? We had somebody actually send in their music. This is a We're getting somebody actually sent in their music for us to play. That is awesome. Also, rate, review, and most importantly, subscribe to The 500, everybody. Follow me, at Josh Adam Myers, on all social media. I need followers. I want to break 10,000. I'm almost there, guys. Email the podcast at 500podcast at gmail.com. And for all things 500, go to our website, the500podcast.com. So, with that being said, here we go with number 482 out of 500 with Guitar Down by Steve Tom Everett Scott, Tom Everett Scott, Tom Everett Scott, bang, 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 bang. Tom Everett. All right, you do, usually people say, jump in with me, but you know, that's fine. Tom, how are you, buddy? <laughs> Am I supposed to jump in there? Oh, no, no, man, no. I was feeling that. That no, was really that's, great. This is my thing. I sing everybody <laughs> in from one of the songs from the record. Thank you for joining me, brother. This is, uh, uh, as we were saying as you walked into the apartment, this album, I didn't think I was going to like it. I fucking love it. It's honest to God why I'm doing this podcast. Mm. You know, I just, I remember that first pass, I was just like, don't know how I feel about it. And now it's like, I, I'm sad that I have to retire this record. I get it. This is a really amazing album that I was not familiar with until you said, you're going to listen to Guitar Town. You're going to talk about it with me. Really? All right, so, so tell me this. What What is your musical history like? What did you grow up listening to? Do you have any obsession bands? I mean, my music beginnings are horrible. They're just... <laughs> what does that mean? Awful. Like, I bought I'm a huge every, Hanson fan. I got... Worse. Worse than Hanson. <laughs> what do you got? Huey Lewis and the News was a band that I was like, I want all their albums and I want to know all their songs. And it was just, uh, it was dark times. It was dark times. Well, how old is that? Like, when does that start? Like, how old are you right now? So I'm 48. So You're that 48. was like high school. Um, yeah, I just, I like to listen to this. And then I like was like, oh, well, I also like Journey and the Police. And, uh, you know, started to get a little bit better. It wasn't until I got to college and I started hanging out with kids who, who had better music collections. And what did they get you into? Uh, that's when I started listening to like Pink Floyd, Led Zeppelin. There it is. You know, there it is. Started Fuck yeah, dude. Dude, I, I got you beat, bro. When I was in high school, my friends loved 311. You know that song? Like, mm-hmm, you know, it's mm-hmm. like, it was garbage. And I remember, you mentioned Pink Floyd. I remember there was a time that we were all about to take LSD. Uh-huh. And I was like, guys, 
Can we turn off 311? Let me go to my apartment and go get this album called Dark Side of the Moon. Right. And then when we put it on, we're going to trip balls, and it's supposed to be made for that. And I ran home, grabbed the album, ran back to my friend's house, and they're all sitting around. The acid is starting to course through their veins. I put on Dark Side of the Moon, and Mm -hmm. as you know, it starts off like really Mm -hmm. ambient noises, and then it drops into breathe. And everybody looks at me and goes, let's put 311 back on. And I was like, you motherfuckers. And then I had a bad trip and ran naked through the streets of Germantown, Maryland. I can't believe you said that, you know, you're putting down Huey Lewis in the news. Oh, you think I'm putting him down? Well, the reason why I say that is because... You're saying they're like ball. Well, I like their music. Who doesn't like Power of Love and like the music from Back to the Future? And, Don't you know. Don't 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 that That's fucking dope, dude. That is dope. I loved it. I loved the uh, the Tower of Power, the the horns that back Huey Lewis in the news. I mean, I I was in marching band. I was in. I was a trumpet player. Uh, I had my own public access TV show that I was putting on each week in in East Bridgewater, Massachusetts. And like our theme song was just like a Huey Lewis song. You know, I which mean, one was it? Uh, it was like an older. It wasn't. If this is it, it was like one of those. Ooh, this is it. Please let me. Hi, everybody. This is. Did you go by Tom Everett Scott back then? Or was nah. it, it's Tom Scott, guys, and nah. we're here to give you the, the weekly squeakly from Bridge, wherever the fuck I am, small town Massachusetts. All right. Guys. No, it'd be more like this is Tommy Scott, and you're not. Oh, did you did you have a thick uh, yeah. message? How hard was it to get rid of it? I didn't really try to get rid of it. I just started doing a bunch of theater, and I went to Syracuse, which is in upstate New York, and started hanging out with people who didn't have that accent. <laughs> to be or not to be. <laughs> That's I can't do a mass accent, man. I cannot. Do uh, it. All you got yeah, just the O's, like uh, like not instead of not. You know, you're not from Boston. Fuck, dude. I just that's the one I can't get. That's I can't. You'll get it. it. I, 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 we'll work I'm on not, it. Well, if, all right, perfect. So, all right. So, Huey Lewis in the news, Pink Floyd. Where are you at now with music? Like, what do you listen to now? God, it's just trying to changes all the time, and I have different like influences, but uh, it, it's it's um, it's hard to say. It is You're just open to stuff. Would you say if yeah. the music sounds good, then then you'll dig it? Because you have kids. I mean, do you listen to what your kids listen to? God, no, no. no. Not at all. I mean, sometimes my daughter, who's 18, she'll like come up with some great music, and I'll be like, oh, I want to listen to that. My son mostly is just like listening to rap right now, which is fine, but I just, it's not where I'm at. So, all right. Well, let's, so, let, so what did you know about Steve Earle before I asked you to, to be on the podcast? Well, I knew that he had done like bluegrass stuff that was very like Civil War kind of based because my friend Steve Zahn and I, uh, you know, listen to him, listen to that song, you know, Mountain. And we used to listen to, there's one of like Ben McCullough, you know, I don't know if you know that song. Don't know Ben McCullough. So it's like this really kind of almost, it, it sounds like it's a song that Steve Earle wrote about a, a, you know, like a civil war battle. And I, I heard it for the first time. I played it for Steve cause I knew how into civil war Steve was. And he was just like, Oh my God, I fucking love this song. And, and then I would like videotape Steve Zahn singing this Steve Earl song, like with the most hilarious, like he was doing a character. Yeah. And we, it would make us laugh. We would cry laugh. We couldn't even finish recording it. And, <laughs> and it would make us laugh so hard. He, he has told me, made me promise that I will play that video at his funeral. Really? Steve you, Can we, I mean, if, can we get a taste of it to put, give to the listeners? I mean, would Steve, we'll ask Steve. 
We're not gonna. We're not. <laughs> I have I no idea where that. it is, but it's really funny. Steve's Steve Zahn's version of that song. So that's like kind of like my. I had a buddy who directed, wrote, and directed a movie that I did early on, uh, like right after that thing you do. I did this independent film called River Red. And okay. uh, the writer director that Eric Drilling was one of these people who was a gr- had a great music collection who inspired me, you know, gave me great stuff to listen to, and he he put Steve Earle on a bunch of mixtapes for me, basically mix CDs. Well, let's dive into the record. Our album is number four eighty two out of five hundred. It's the nineteen eighty six debut album by singer songwriter Steve Earle, Guitar Town. It was recorded at Soundstage Studios in Nashville, Tennessee. Now. So you had a little bit of history with him uh, prior to this. What did you think of the record, the first listen? I I was blown away. It's like a, it's a mix of country and rock, but each song has its own identity. Yeah. Um, just uh, I knew already knew I liked Steve Earle, uh, even though what I listened to was more like a bluegrassy thing. I really wasn't aware of like his his country background, and I really could even say I know him more as an actor from The Wire and from Treme. Yeah, he played Waylon on The Wire, and I didn't even know he was on Treme. He also did the Plays theme like a song. Busker. He also did the theme song for one of the the Tom Waits song. He did his version of that on season five of The Wire, and it's just incredible. So, he's he's incredible. He so so I I love him. I thought he was good. So I listened to the album though. Uh, immediately just put it on a loop. Yeah. And I started listening to it all the time. And then I re- went into a deep dive on YouTube, just watching all these live performances of of him and the Dukes, and you know any collaboration that he was doing, and uh, you know just each song kind of just stood out to me being different and, and special. I, I have a least favorite song in the album. Please tell me, Little Rock and Roller. That's your least favorite. Yeah, I don't like it. Why was that your least favorite? Uh, I thought that would have you would have identified with it as a you, father. Yeah, I know, right? I I just. I just, I don't know. I don't know. I didn't like it. I, it I don't know. It's not a good enough reason. It would come every time. It would come on. I would get bummed out. I would just be like, ah, oh, the song about the little rock and roller. Uh, Did you read the lyrics of any of these songs? Yes, because of that's actually him just saying, "I miss my kid. I get I'm it. a good father." I get it. Every other one is like, "I live in the middle of fucking nowhere, and everybody is dying around me." <laughs> Vietnam was hard. That's literally <laughs> that's it. That's my favorite track, right dude. There. Fucking someday is literally someday is the one that. You sang my name too. That's, yes, it is. But dude, that's about the American dream yeah, is actually right. the American nightmare. It's like it's. I read this online. It's a lie. It's a myth. Like Steve Steve Earl wrote this whole thing about how you know we just fly over all of these towns and there's all of these people that are stuck there. Yet you are bummed out about a guy that he just misses his kid. I get it because I'm on the road all the time and I miss my kids too. But sure. I think something about little rock and roller, the actual like. I, that just, I don't know, rubbed me the wrong way. You know, anyway, I'm fine with this. You know what's funny? That's Johnny Cash's favorite song on this record. Really? Yep. Johnny Cash came up to him one time and said, I love that song, Little Rock and Roller. And like, so, yeah, you're in the... Uh, like I said, I listen to Huey Lewis in the News. I have a very embarrassing Ooh, music. This it. <laughs> me know. But I do love Someday. I love that line. Yeah. Uh, nothing to do in this town. You know, drive to the lake and turn back around. Yep. I mean, that was where I grew up. Little town, same thing. Nothing to do. You know, identify with that song for sure. I think it's it would be impossible to pick a favorite song. So that's why it was so much easier to pick a least favorite song. My least favorite? Think it over. Couldn't stand it. That was the one I, I always say, Is what song the, would we... That was the one that's like, you think it's so... Peter, play it for a second. And it, you know, well, I go 
Yeah, it's my least favorite one. It's a little too rocket billy. Uh, it sounds like yeah, dude. it's like something from that. It kind of sounds like something that the Beatles would cover back when they were like doing the BBC sessions. Oh yeah, dude. They, you know they would cover like a little Richard song, or they'd be like beep beep. Yeah. Totally. Just so that's the one I didn't identify with the most. My favorite song on the record has changed five times. It's now down the road, uh, which we're gonna get to because it's a very very powerful song. Let's let's dive into the record. Let's talk about this. All right, the album starts with Guitar Town. Now, the first time I heard this, I was like, I'm not gonna like this record. Now I'm obsessed with this song. Uh, just what I love about it so much is the first thing that Steve says in this album is, Hey, pretty baby, are you ready for me? That's literally him saying, like, you motherfuckers have no idea what I'm about to drop on you guys. Country's not ready. Rock's not ready. And that is such a ballsy statement. Uh, the guitar lick that follows that is just so perfect. I thought it had a little bit of like a dire straits. Like, Peter, play that little... I love this. Uh, so fucking much. Best part of the song. And uh, these are the best lyrics. Uh, and I want you, Peter, play minute one, second 35. These lyrics are incredible. Well, I gotta keep rocking while I still can. I got two-pack habit and a motel tan. I fucking love that so much. Now, uh, would you have any thoughts on Guitar Town? I have a question. What Please. Do you, what, what, what is a bird dog? He's got a bird dog on. He's got he's got the radio blasting and a bir- and the bird dog on. What's that? I love that line. That's in the beginning. The, yeah, I know. You're he's right. like uh, coming out of. Uh, Austin bound for San Antonio, radio blasting, and the bird dog on. Here it is. Who's yeah. the bird dog? You know what's funny? Uh, my ex girlfriend used to call my penis a bone dog. So I, I got I my bone dog on. I, it could be radio blasting. Here, I'll tell you right now what a bird dog is uh, because I've got it all pulled up. Often used within the trucking community, a bird dog is a radar detector. There it is. Usually forward facing. Yeah, got dude. it, got it, got it. He had the bird dog on because the next line is he doesn't want a local yokel pulling him over, right? Fuck. Yeah, look at you, right? dude, getting the goddamn lyrics. I love uh, everything about this song. I mean, I am—I couldn't stop playing it. I am. Yeah, this is this is a great one. You're right. You, that that lick is amazing. Wow, I love the way you put that. The first line is like him being like, "This is you guys have no idea yeah, what you're about to get." Here it comes, and, and here it comes, and it's his debut. This is his debut album. Exactly. He had been writing in Nashville. He ran away from home to, to at fourteen play, to, to play follow music. Towns Van Zant, right? But like, yeah, he he just he was ready to go, and and uh, and this album is is probably one of the best debut albums I think I've ever heard. You know what I mean? It's for, for, for I don't know much about country, but what I know is that this guy Steve Earle, like what he had to do was he was writing music in Nashville for other people, and then it was like, all right, this is my time. I'm going to make this record, and I'm going to put everything I have into it. And then he just blew people away with this. You know, The song is about you know being a road musician, uh, filled with all the references to motel rooms, uh, too many cigarettes, driving all night to next gig, and the rush of the live performance, and it's just a rockabilly revival. Now, totally. Uh, 
Guitar Town is basically was such a huge hit, right? Mm-hmm. And it quickly brought him recognition, adulation from all of his peers and all the success. But then after the pot, and but then after that, it's like he has to follow that up. Now, comparing it to what you went through, like you really came into the scene with that thing you do, mm-hmm. that thing you do, a, an iconic film. Mm-hmm. You know, I mean, I still get people that say to me, like, I can't believe I missed you reuniting the wonders at the goddamn <laughs> comedy jam. Uh. And it's just it was such a magical moment. That movie is 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 Tom Hanks directorial debut. Right. Yeah. You are handpicked. Uh, to to be the lead in it and basically play a version of him, right? Um, you know the expectations must have been super high. So how did you deal with that, and what kind of support system did you have? Well, I was just living in New York, like in a railroad apartment. I hadn't really done much. I'd done like a couple episodes of a show called Grace Under Fire, and I had done oh Brett Butler, Brett Butler, yeah, uh, dude, I yeah, love her, yeah. And she, I was recurring as her son that she had given up for adoption on that show. So I was doing a little bit of like um it, that was my first experience doing multi-camera comedy okay. it, in fact that was just the biggest thing i had been on up to that point everything else i had done had been like little commercials little guest spot on law and order just small stuff on camera hey it's kaylee cuoco for priceline ready to go to your happy place for a happy price well why didn't you say so just download the priceline app right now and save up to 60 percent on hotels so whether it's Cousin Kevin's Kazoo Concert in Kansas City, go Kevin! Or Becky's Bachelorette Bash in Bermuda. You never have to miss a trip ever again. So download the Priceline app today. Your savings are waiting. Go to your happy place for a happy price. Go to your happy price. Priceline. Hello out there! Yes, hello out there, everyone. I'm Hal Schwartz. And I'm Flynn McClain. Together we host None But the Brave, a podcast dedicated to the music and career of Bruce Springsteen. Bruce and E Street Band are on tour right now for the first time in six years, and we're taking a detailed look at what's happening on stage in our bi-weekly episodes. We've also been recently joined by some very exciting guests, including rock journalist Warren Zanes and Stephen Hyden, Backstreet's Magazine founder Charles Cross, and Barstool's Kirk Menahan. If you're a diehard Springsteen fan, this is the show for you. So please subscribe to Nimbut the Brave on your favorite podcasting platform, and we hope to see you further on up the road. Thank you so much! We'll be seeing you! So, so, so keep going. So you're in New York. So I'm in New York, and so I didn't really have any. I had my wife now. It was my girlfriend then, Jenny. Jenny and I were living together, and we were about to move in together into our own place, but at the moment, she was crashing at my place that I was living at with my roommate, Andrew Scroy, my friend from Syracuse, and Jenny went to Syracuse too. So three of us, and we basically were in theater company with other Syracuse people, and so when I got the news, we went out that night to a bar called the Z Bar and, and had celebratory drinks, and it was just this euphoria you know, and I didn't really know what was going to happen. So Tom Hanks called me at home that night. I was I was at home. I was going to do some laundry. The phone rang, and the guy said, "Is this Tom Everett Scott?" And I said, "Yes, who's this?" And he said, "This is Ed Saxon from that thing you do productions. I just want to make sure this was your phone number." And I was like, "Uh, yeah." And he's like, "Okay, thanks." And he hung up. And I told Jenny, and she was like, "That's it. They're going to call you. You got it." You know, because we had been waiting like kind of a week since the like a round of auditions to, sure. to hear. 
I left my apartment and went and picked up my laundry from the from the laundry. <laughs> <laughs> you got to do something because if not, you're going to sit by the phone and go crazy. Yeah. So I came back and I was like, did it ring? They're like, nope, nobody's called yet. So then it did ring and I answered it and it was Tom Hanks. And he said, is this Tom? And I said, yeah. He goes, hi, this is Tom Hanks. And like, just like my body just like went up out of, you know, my I'm getting spirit. chills just thinking about that. <laughs> yeah. So it was just out of body experience. Uh, it was so quiet in my apartment. My roommate and, and my girlfriend were just kind of just hanging on just to listen and and he said i remember ron howard called me and asked me personally you know like to be in splash and so i always wanted to like offer that on my first movie that i directed and i was like that's incredible like how how sweet how incredibly thoughtful yeah uh and i said yes absolutely 100 percent want to be in the movie and he was like well we'll let the agents and everybody work everything out but you know, we're really excited to get going. And it was, we had a little bit more of a conversation than that, but that, that was it. And then hung up and, and, and that just kind of, it did start like the, the pressure, like, in the, you know, figuring out like, okay, well, I'm going to have to like learn how to play drums. Cause I don't know how to play drums. And I, I knew the script, like I knew what was going to be uh, asked of me. Sure. And it was overwhelming. And I remember at one point when I realized how overwhelming and how much I could totally like fail, I just told myself, it's okay if, if you make some mistakes. You know what I mean? Like I gave myself permit. I, re- I just remember this really weird moment, a very like clarifying moment where I said, you can, you can just let yourself make some mistakes because it's all right. That's great. Yeah. Um, and that's how I kind of like got through it. Now, everything after that was just like learning how to play the drums and every, all that energy that went into that, that gave me something to, to do. So so what was it like after that wrapped? And it's like knowing that you the first thing that you did was such a huge hit. Like how hard was it? Did you feel any pressure after that or did you feel like it was all lifted and now it's just go with the flow? Well, it's so funny like cuz I never once thought like during the process of making it like that uh what it would become i had no idea and no one working on a film ever really knows anything about how good it is really considering it's tom hanks just won an oscar this is the first thing he's ever directed i would assume that that the you're going on huge press tours and so people are seeing your face i mean you know out of everybody it was like it was you and 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 i'd say uh live that really were like the two main stars of it right i mean it was an ensemble Two though, and, and oh, I'm not putting down Ethan and Jonathan. There, everybody and, did a great job. And yeah. Jonathan, no, everyone did a great job. But I mean, Jonathan was kind of like the only, like him and Liv were like the faces of the cat of the young cast. Like he he was he was like on a list of who's hot. She was obviously you know everyone knew who she was. Uh, it actually didn't do well at the box office. It didn't. Did it not? It did not. So it didn't do well coming out of the gate. But there was a ton of like like spotlight on it because it was Tom Hanks for sure. And under that spotlight, I had no idea how to react. And almost every bit of like being myself in front of like, you know, in an interview or doing any of that press made me crazy. Like I really was uncomfortable be talking about myself, like super uncomfortable and uh, w- did like an entertainment tonight piece. We're here, guys. Me and Mary Hyde. We're going to be talking to the hit new actors from that thing you do. The king of the thing. Yeah, I I fucking like hated that stuff so much. So I watched it back with a group of friends, and everyone was like watching it, and I it made me like ill. Really? Yeah, watching myself do this piece like when it aired. Sure. I was like, oh, I can't stand it. And then I, I mean, I got I went and did Letterman. I did Letterman for that thing you do, and. 
I was white as a ghost, so sick. I didn't even want to go. I don't know how I got myself to that theater and then did it. And in the wings, right before I went on, same kind of moment where I was like, just, you're going to, it's okay. Like, just, you're, whatever happens, you'll be all right. How far after that was getting, you know, you're doing the follow-up to the American Werewolf in London yeah. to do American Werewolf in Paris. Like, there was like a lot of like, so there was like, what happens next? What do I do next? And I don't, you know, looking back, I don't think I had like great um, people around me, tell, you know, helping me decide what my next sure. move should be. You know, I mean, I had agents telling me, you're bulletproof. You could do anything right now. And I was like, that's bad advice, right? Like, sure. you know, should be selective, should definitely like hold out for, for more quality stuff. I think Ameri- like American World from Paris was something that I audition for while I was still shooting that thing you do. Oh wow. And Toby Maguire had just passed on it. Like he they were he was gonna be American World from Paris and they he passed because he got the ice storm. And so it I went in, read for it, and they were like, we want to cast you. I remember telling Tom Hanks my next job was American World from Paris and his face he was like Really? Like <laughs> And I thought, really? And I thought, ooh, maybe it shouldn't be my next movie. Whatever, you know. I was like, fuck it. I'm gonna go to Europe for the first time in my life. And and I don't have regrets about that movie. That was a phenomenal experience. Dude, like, you had that great Bush song from it. Was it mouth? Mouth. Yeah. yeah. <laughs> Play a little bit of that, Peter. Play a little bit of. Oh, God, no, I don't know. No, it goes. How it goes. I, I forget. I remember it because I used from her mouth. Came. Something like I know that part's in there. I just remember that Julie Delpy was in the video. Oh yeah, dude! I think you were. weren't you in it too? Like no. riding around on a motorcycle? I, no, no. Maybe it was Gavin. I feel like Gavin would do that. He's kind of like he's really sexy, so they'd put him in Julie. Yeah. No, and I remember like going, oh, yeah. No one asked me to be. <laughs> That's okay. <laughs> That's fine. All right. Well, let's 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 move on to that. Let's move on. Goodbyes. All we got left. The next song after that. It's a great song uh, about having to break up with somebody. Here are the sample lyrics. I I don't think it's going to get any better. So maybe you could just write me a letter, and I could open it up when I'm stronger. Another ten, twelve years, maybe longer. I guess I just don't feel much like bad news today. Goodbyes is all we've got left to say. Uh, great song. Great song. Love this to death. Um, now, this song, and a lot of the album is filled about heartbreak. Now, Steve, uh, f- after doing research, he's been married seven times yeah. to six women. Right. And you have been dating, you started dating her when you were in college, right? We met in college. We started dating right after college. Yeah, but you've been married. So how long is the marriage? 21 years. 21 years. Now, what do you think the secret to that longevity is? Uh, just... I mean, we've known we've known each other for a long time. We've worked at our marriage. I think the secret is working at it, like because I've we want to be together. We want to be. Yeah. We we really love each other, and we really just compliment each other, and uh, you know, we've had this great life, and we just enjoy being with each other all the time. And there's rough times, and we were young when we started out, so we would fight like even as we got older, we still fight like a young. Like, you know, we just had young uh, behavior. Sure. <laughs> and so we, like, she saw a shrink and I saw a shrink and we talked about, like, how do we do this? I, I got to learn how to, like, fight a little bit more like an adult. I still fight like a kid. 
And what do you say you fight like a kid? Like just getting so angry and just like, you know, you can't you can't treat every single argument like this stupid fight and when you storm out the door and you act like a jerk, you know. You gotta yeah. like go, All right, yeah, well what you're saying makes me feel this way. Okay, I'm sorry, I'm sorry. And then you just move on. And as you have kids and as your life gets more complicated and stuff, you fight for this amount of time as opposed to like these epic fights that you had. Oh you yeah. Not. So but you guys have been a lot you guys know each other so well, I assume that it's yeah. just like you you know you're able to apologize yeah and you're able to say all right i recognize what i did yep. but when you did that i experienced this and you know have you ever gone to therapy or it's just you just totally the therapy you have yeah. gone to therapy she has a therapist i have a therapist and then at one point when we had more of a like a crisis in our marriage but it was uh it was like way early on we did like two couple sessions and we decided we hated the couple sessions <laughs> like sure it was so much easier just to go to like your own person kind of talk it out and then and then come together yeah so we just didn't like the the couple sessions so you're weird. saying that the key to a long marriage is communication which i think that's basically work at it yeah. gotta work at it yeah gotta work at that's it that's it that goes right into hillbilly highway uh peter play the guitar intro to this because i fucking love it Now, this is about a family trying to work hard for a better life, but ultimately the grandson has bigger dreams. Granddaddy rolled over in his grave the day that I quit school. I just sat around the house playing my guitar, and my daddy said I was a fool. Mama cried and said goodbye. You never heard such a lonesome sound. Now I'm standing on this highway, and if you're going my way, you know where I'm bound. Okay. On that hillbilly highway. Look at you singing, dude. (laughs) Um, was your family supportive when, uh, cause you're from a small town, like how big, what is it? Bridgewater, East Bridgewater, East Bridgewater. How many people? Uh, I mean, there were three stoplights in the whole town. Fuck. No franchises. It was no McDonald's, no nothing. I mean, you'd have to go to Brockton to go see a movie or go to, go to McDonald's or, and it it was just cows, man. It was like, it's probably way developed now, but uh, not way developed. Now they got sheep. And cows. <laughs> so it's a small town. Tiny. Yeah. Tiny little town. There was a little pond at the end of my street that we would skate on in the winter. I mean, yeah. all that shit. Nobody from my town was going to go to Hollywood. So I was in... Ever since I saw my older sister in the high school play yeah. and saw her up on stage, I was like, that's what I want to do. Because she sucks. And I'm way better than she is. At sure. This, you know. Oh, wow. Like, dude. I'm gonna... L- little competition. I dig that. So... I I was in every show I could possibly be in in high school, junior high. So I was like, all right, I want to do this. Whatever this is, I want to do this for the rest of my life. And there was a guy who ran the public access channel, Ralph yeah. Eugene Wadman. Sup, Ralph Eugene Wadman. And he he was the best. And he would like let me do that stuff. It kind of taught me how to like edit deck to deck and you know use the cameras and stuff. And I said, I want to do this. So what did you major in? And he's like, communications. So I looked for the best communication school that I could get into. It was Syracuse. And that was it. It was like full steam ahead. I got in. And as soon as I got to Syracuse and started taking communications classes, I was like, this isn't what I want to do. <laughs> <laughs> and there was this girl on my floor who was a sophomore who was really cute. And she was like, I'm doing this play. Will you come down and see me in it? And I was like, absolutely. And I walked off. It's like the theater department for Syracuse is a little bit off campus. And I walked all the way down this hill, got all the way down there and walked into the lobby and saw all the like theater kids Thespians. The thesps. 
And I was like, this is what I want to do. This is it. I walked into the theater, watched the play. Same exact experience I had when I watched my sister on on stage in high school. I was like, that's where I want to be. Yeah. So I switched my major. And my parents, I was afraid that they were going to say no. Just because it sounded ridiculous. You know what I mean? Yeah. Communication sounds like a $5 word. Oh, yeah. Communication sounds like, all right, there's 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 career choices out there. Theater is... But wanting to be an actor sounds really ridiculous. Yeah. So I figured out how to transfer majors, Figured answered all the questions that they were going to ask me before I asked if I could do it. And then I was fully prepared when, they asked, uh, when I asked them. And they surprised me. And I shouldn't have been surprised. They were really good parents. They were really supportive, did everything for their kids. Yeah. And they said, we want you to be happy. My mom did say, however, she was like, well, I just want to ask the guys from the Renaissance Theater <laughs> that I was doing in the summers, do they think that I had a wait, shot? Wait, wait, wait. You worked at a Renaissance fair? Is it a fair yeah. or a theater? Fair, fair. It's a fair. Yeah, yeah. Don't try to class it up by putting theater on there, motherfucker. It's a, it's a goddamn so fair. People walking around in shrouds. Yes. And there's a guy in one of those... Uh-huh. Uh, what do they call him? Yeah, I got, right now I got my arms up and it's like he's got his head through a circle and he's like, how are you today, fine sir? You droppeth your cell phone. <laughs> but I mean, so what were you doing? <laughs> so right. where I was growing up, there was a big one called uh, King Richard's Fair. That's not the one. I was at, I was doing theater at the Cumberland <laughs> Company and this was like... Oh, it was that's, a, the, that's the good one. <laughs> so King Richard's Fair was the more of like, like what you're imagining where it was like, uh, you know, jousting and the jesters and the big legs of lamb and yeah. all that shit. Lamb legs. Cumberland <laughs> Company was like life-size chess match, all this like improv road work, they would call it, like where you would like improv with the people on the road. And <laughs> How go with you today, yeah. if sir? So it was, it, was, it was like crazy that my mom wanted their blessing for me to become an She's actor. Like, they know, man. They know if he stays in character. So they're very supportive and they were supportive right from the jump. They were, they were. So, so that that was it. I switched my major and, and started acting uh, as a major at Syracuse. That's terrific, dude. Going into that makes you a good old boy, oh, which is story. it's called good old boy getting tough. Now, tough. Uh, I wrote this in capitals on my notes. I fucking love this song. It's it's as soon as I hear it. Uh, I've never country line danced, but this song. 100% is for made for people like in the cowboy hats just crushing it in the line dance it's like it's got that like you know just play it. Peter play uh, two minute to 26 seconds in I, I love this. This is this is so funny because I was saying it earlier that this song is so much fun, yet oh, the lyrics are so depressing. And we're going to lump this song and another one together because um, this is about being stuck in a job and in a marriage and feeling like you're stuck in life. Um, I hit the beer joints every Friday night, spend a little money looking for a fight. But dun, 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 it don't that's the chorus. It, Isn't it, the best that's line the wrong thing. I'm singing this wrong, but it don't matter if I win or lose because Monday I'm back on the losing end again. Jesus Christ. How great is the line? 
I was born in the land of plenty. Now there ain't enough. Oh my god! How dude. great is that line? This is this is getting tough. Just my luck. I was born in the land of plenty. Now there ain't enough. Getting cold. It's like this song I rock out to. What's the other song you're pairing this with? Um, I'm gonna pair this. Well, just not so much the sound of it. Someday, someday. So yeah. this is what I thought was so funny because this yeah. is such a rock out. So both oh. of those songs are very powerful. They're very fun. Get good old boy is definitely more upbeat. And like I said, I could see people uh, like square dancing yeah, to this sure. song. But but sure. like this this is a song uh, about being stuck in life. I mean, this is about like you said, just my luck. I was born in the land of plenty. Now it ain't enough. Uh, and Steve writes a lot about this small town where everybody has to fight the system. Now you're originally from a small town in Massachusetts. Right. Uh, when, you, when did you leave? You left, uh, immediately to go to college. Right? I graduated high school in 88, went to Syracuse, uh, graduated Syracuse in 92. After I graduated from, from Syracuse with my BFA in acting, I moved back home into my room that you grew up in, that I grew up in. To figure out what the next step was, which was going to be New York, no doubt. Like I was ready, I was going to go to New York. I just didn't know when. I yeah. had kind of there was a there was a chance that I could like kind of room with somebody there. Who a girl I went to college with was dating this guy who was like three or four years older than us, who was like acting in waiting tables in the city. I barely knew this guy, right? But that was my one place to like stay when I, to to first go. But I didn't know when or if it was going to happen. So right after when I went home and I went and stayed the night in my bed, my old bed that I grew up in. I could not do it. Like I, I didn't sleep that whole night. Like I was just like, I can't, how am I going to, how long am I going to be here? Like I can't be here. And I immediately called that guy that I barely knew. and was like, when can I move in, man? He was like, dude, just drive down and you can be my roommate. You know what I mean? So like once I was ready to go, I was out. Well, my, one of my best friends from high school and he's still a really good friend of mine now. he, I remember him telling me that he was going to stay. Yeah. And that blew my mind because I thought we had so much more, we were more alike than that. And we were still good friends, but it could, you can be good friends and not want to do the same thing. Completely. But I was like, oh my God, how are you not out of here as soon as you can be out of here? And he's like, oh, you know, I like it here. He, he raised his family there, everything there. He's still there. Yeah, for sure. Um, I had the same situation with a buddy of mine that I grew up with, my friend Paul. Um, and Paul and I had were so connected comedically. Like we used to get high and just write sketches and just come up with like bits for the stand up that we were both gonna do. Yep. And it was it was like I always knew I was getting out of Germantown. Now Germantown is twenty minutes north of Washington or no yeah, twenty minutes north of Washington, DC. And so it's not like I grew up in a small town. It was a suburb of the district, but right. I knew as soon as I was 18, I knew I wanted to be a comic. I knew I wanted to do something with music. I had no idea it was going to turn out where I'd do both. But I eventually ended up moving when I was 27. And by that point, Paul had a job that I bet he still works with the company for. It has wow. was had met a girl. And as soon as he met that girl, I was like, he's never leaving. Right. Like, he's here. Um. Yeah, I love him to death, man. It sucks we barely talk to each other anymore. I try to like reach out, be like, "Hey, man, what's going on?" And like, I might get like a text back every once every six months. He's kind of like the Bigfoot of our group. Like when they all go out, or if I come home, it's just 
Last time I think I saw them was 2014, December 2014. And uh, I love them, man. Dude, come out here, Paul, if you're listening. I know you're probably not. But all right, that, what we're saying, that good old boy and someday are basically, in a sense, very connected. Uh, Play minute one, second 30 of someday. This is the line from the song, though, that we brought up earlier. Um, I work at the filling station on the interstate, pumping gasoline and counting out-of-state plates. They ask me how far into Memphis, son, and where's the nearest beer, and they don't even know that there's a town around here. Which is basically, you know, what we forget about is that there's, you know, we live in Los Angeles. I grew up in the Washington, D.C. area. There's New York and the main cities. There is so much that we fly over that we just completely forget about. I mean, how many times have you been getting gas on the way to, like, Vegas and you drive by, you stop in there, you buy a Snickers or whatever, and you don't even, you're like, holy shit, dude, people fucking live here. Mm. I mean, do you feel that uh, you learned about life from growing up in a small town? I mean, I mean, I think it's given me a perspective for sure. I mean, uh, you know, one that I is just completely different from what my kids are getting from growing up in Los Angeles. Sure. Um, I mean, but it was also a different time. I yeah, I think I have like maybe like a little bit more of an appreciation for uh, for small time, for small town life. Yeah. Um, uh, yeah. I think that um, you know this music is 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 really like identify. I can identify with what he's singing about. He grew up in Texas, right? Even though he was born in Virginia. I mean, I remember people had like T-shirts from my town that said, you know, last person to leave East Bridgewater, turn out the lights. You know, I mean, we were like, we're a small town. We know, Fuck, dude. He grew up, yeah, he was born, and actually he was born in Virginia, but he is from San Antonio, Texas. He actually says that in, um, in Guitar Town. He says, come down, ba down, ba ski, ba San Antonio, and a la ba ba I love that so much. Uh, let me ask you, so, so you did drive across country a few times. Yeah, I did it with Jason. You did it with Jason. Yeah, that was, and you know what? When we drove through one section where we were trying to get to Monument Valley, and you, you had to cut through like these crazy roads through the desert. You would drive past like a shack with a mailbox in the middle of like where the you know coyote chased uh, <laughs> the roadrunner. You know what I mean? Like Wiley Coyote is uh, is living there too. You know what I mean? You're just like, how does anyone freaking live out here where there's no water? Yeah, you know. But you that's that's the opposite i mean that is the far extreme of course but did you know when you were living in a small town that you were living in a small town like did you have an idea that it was like we are in the middle of fucking nowhere it started to i started to realize it when as i got older the things that i wanted to do or see or movies that i wanted to see weren't available in the local theater and the only place i could see it was if i went to boston i'd be like well why why is that you know and and, you know, my mom would be like, well, because there's just like more people in Boston. There's more, you know, interest in things like that. Sure. There. I was like, there's more. Oh, 
there's not that here. Okay, so wait, so I don't want to be here. Like, I want to be so, and it wasn't Boston that I wanted to go to either, because even though I love Boston, um, it also wasn't big enough for me because you could walk from one end of Boston to the other in a you know in a short amount of time. I, I needed to go to like New York. I just needed it. Guitar Town, your version of Guitar Town, basically. Yeah. Uh, my old friend, the blues. Oh, the, my... It's so good, right? I, well, okay. Tell so me why. What? Did real, you... real quick. I think that my old friend, the blues, is the most country song on this album. Oh, is my great. is my opinion. Sure. It really is. It just this is to me. This is my, maybe one of the best country songs on this album. Really? That's it. This is you. This is your. Yeah. I, I, one, I completely agree with you. It's so pretty. Uh, but once again, it's so sad. It's mm. basically saying, you know, sadness is the common thread in life that, you know, lovers will leave and friends will let you down. But you're the only thing that I've found. No matter what I do, I'll never lose my old friend, the blues. What's up, everybody? I am Finn McKenty, host of the Punk Rock NBA podcast, part of the Sound Talent Media Podcast Network. My podcast is all about doing what you love for a living, and every week I sit down and talk to people who have done exactly that. For example, musicians like Tommy from Between the Buried Me, Matt from Periphery, Lil Lotus and Shinigami, among many others, photographers, artists, designers, YouTubers like Glenn Fricker and Sarah Dietschy, and I unpack exactly how they got to where they are today with the goal of helping you do the same. So if that sounds cool, you can listen and subscribe at soundtalentmedia.com and I'll see you there. Hello, Tom May here, host of Future Friday. I've spent the last 15 years on the road with my band, The Menzingers, where I've met all kinds of wild and fascinating people. So I started a podcast. On Future Friday, I talked to fellow musicians about the moments that made them, their passions outside of music, and the curiosities that tie us all together. I've also talked to the likes of UFO researchers, magicians, soldiers, and documentary filmmakers, and I'm constantly searching for folks that can shape and change our view of the world. You can check out Future Friday wherever you like. And I love the outro. Peter, play a little bit of the outro. So this is about, you know, living in that darkness. Was there a dark time in your life and, and how did you come out of that? I think right right after college and right before I started like working and I, I'm lucky. So, I mean, let's just preface it with saying like I don't have that much to really complain about here. But there were moments while I was figuring things out in New York and I, I, I definitely had to get my shit together. You know, I could have easily, I think, just been like, just not doing well. You know, I think I could have easily just fallen right off and and been a fuck up. Is this because, so is this is when you're already, you're trying to get into acting and it's just... This is, yeah, this is me like while I'm, while I'm, you know, auditioning for stuff and I'm like waiting tables and living in this apartment and just, you know, not really like... There, there could, just could have been. There, I remember there was a moment where a friend of mine said, "You know what? If you really want to get something out of this, you're gonna to have to start like just working hard." You know, because I think a lot of things could come easy to me, if, and I could have just like let it come easy to me, or I could have like tried harder and done better. And and I just remember that shift. That's really it. I mean, you know, like throughout life, there's moments that are that are 
worse than others, right? Of course. I remember when I moved out here, um, and this isn't one of my darkest times, um, but I had moved out here and I was uh, hanging out with my cousin and all of his buddies who were all like, you know, they've all, they're all like, you know, bigger working actors now. One of them is Aquaman. Um, and I moved out here and I hadn't drank and done coke for a year before I moved out here because I got my third DUI in Maryland. Not proud of it, but kind of because, you know, three is good. It's a good number. If uh, if I was a baseball player, you think about it, I drove drunk thousands of times, so to get caught only three times, that's pretty good odds. That's, that's you know, Hall of Fame in baseball um, to hit that much. But I remember I was, I was just dicking around and drinking and doing coke for the first two months that I lived here, and a buddy of mine who's, who's like, one of the most beautiful people I've ever met in my life, he's a male model, and, like, he knocked on, on the door of the, of the studio I was subletting, and he goes, listen, man, he's like, you've got to, you know, I understand you're moving out here and you're having fun, but he goes, you're going to move home immediately if you continue this. Like, you have to understand, you have to work out here, um, because if you just dick around, he's like, you might as well do that back in D.C., because it's like everybody will pass you by. Um, That's pretty much what I'm talking about. That that moment of like, well, what are you doing? What? Why? Why are you here? Are you here to just like get wasted and just not try? Well, how old were you? I was like tw- between ages 22 to 25 was before I got that thing you do. Like once I got that movie, that big break and being with Jenny, and then pretty much right in succession, like getting married, having kids. You know, there, there's. I've been on, you know, like let's responsibility yeah. is number one. Protecting my family and you know providing has been number one. You know that has definitely kept me. Jenny has kept me, you know, in check, in check, and just working hard. Well, I mean, I completely. I mean, I'm not going to compare it to having a dog, but the second I got that dog, I was like, all right, I need to. I want to make sure this dog has a great life, so I have to right. work my ass off that's to the same. maintain that. Yeah, that's the same. You know, you yeah. You, you ever you ever crate your kids? <laughs> you ever put your kids in the crate. You got a you got a prong collar for your for your son. You should. Yeah. I'm telling you, it works, dude. I would lay next to the crate though because I felt bad. I just would you know hold their hands through the wire mesh of the crate, D- dude. I fucking love this dog, and if <laughs> anything happens to her, I will fucking die. Which brings us to the next song. Think it's over now. I didn't like this one. Um, this is a little too. Cheese ball on such an album that had so much heart and soul and depth to it. This song just to me was was yeah. It's, it's about a, a go it's a little hokey. Yeah, it's no, a little hokey. I, Thank I you. It. Hokey's perfect. That's the perfect word. It's about a breakup. Now it's about being uh, broken up with and breaking up. Do you have any bad breakup stories? Oof. Um. Not really. No. Oh, okay. I broke up with my college girlfriend, and she destroyed my. All my stuff. What? That's yeah. a great one. How would you forget that? And then it, it was in set the it up. So, set it up. So senior year, going out with this girl. Uh, we went out pretty much the whole year, and then at the very end, uh, she was like younger than me. So it was kind of like I could feel like, all right, I'm going to leave college. She's going to still be here. Yeah. It wasn't really going great anyway. I'm going to break up with her. It's time to break up with her. And then I'm going to have fun the last couple weeks of my senior year without having to worry about this relationship that's not working out. So I I break up with her and she... That guy Tom from the Renaissance Fair, man. That motherfucker's single. Grab my lamb leg. Yeah, I was a hot commodity (laughs) at that point. Uh, So then she just... She started 
smacking me in the face what? and then grabbing my stuff off of my dresser and throwing it and crashing things in my room, just ripping stuff off the walls and just went bananas and screaming. And meanwhile, there was like a party going on in my house with my roommates and stuff. And so she like flew out of my room and when all these like heads of my friends just kind of like peeked around the door looked at me like you all right man i was like i'm okay and this in the background it's like damn dan 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 i fucking hate you tom fuck you dan 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 holy shit dude fuck yeah dude so what happens you just start destroying everything she destroyed everything, and then my friends came in. They helped me pick up my room and stuff, and I was like, yeah, and they were like, you're all right. I'm like, I think so. I think I, I'm pretty sure I did the right thing there. Uh, yeah, dude. You did the right thing. <laughs> yeah. Good yeah. for you, dude. You know what? You have a fearless heart, <gasps> which is the next song. Play the intro, Peter. This song is so good, and it's about being strong enough to love again after losing it so many times. I got me a fearless heart, strong enough to get you through the scary part. It's been broken many times before. A fearless heart just comes back for more. This is my favorite song. Um, this is the best one, right? This is, the best. This is, is this the one that you enjoy the most? I think this is the biggest song, right? Yeah. It's, it's got that... I think this one got me from the very first time I listened to it, where I was like, oh, yeah. Get but ski but do the fearless heart. Yeah. I'm but ski but do but from the do but D. You've been hurt. How far after the girl destroyed all your shit did you meet your uh, future wife? We had we knew each other. Like, we were friends, me and Jenny. And then it wasn't until probably, like, let's see, when did I break up with that girl? 92. So then Jenny and I started dating two years later. Did she have a lot of uh, heartbreaks prior to meeting you? I think she had, yeah. I think she'd had a couple boyfriends who, you know, I mean, not, nothing. What, what relationships end well, right? Um, My last one kind of did. I mean, we both just real. I just realized it was time. Like, she's such a special girl. She has so much okay. love, but she's not right for what I need to do in my life right now. So it was a. It was so it wasn't a horrible breakup. Not at all. Okay. It was. It wasn't a bad one. Even the. The I've only had like two real girlfriends. One of them uh, is engaged to Tommy Lee right now. Tommy Lee, the drummer. Yeah, I know. You know how crazy that shit is, dude. Uh, but but that was bad because the breakup was bad was because we were done and then uh, we we I mean we hadn't been having sex in months and it was just we were roommates and then uh, she left me for another guy that I could have I would have if I would have put money on it I would have said that dude was gay I was like oh this guy's gay so they can hang out as much as they want and then she was like she's like I'm leaving you for Randall I'm in love with him I'm like Randall. He's gay. How are you with what? What the fuck? And I remember I was sad, Tom, but I was sad not because I was losing her. I was sad because we had built like a home together. We lived yeah. in Hancock Park and we had two dogs that were hers, but they, I had, you know, you know what it's like. You got dogs. It's yeah. like you, you spent a day with a dog and you're like, never leave me, yeah. you fucking Pomeranian. Like, and I loved him <laughs> so much. And so it wasn't bad. It was bad, and I was sad at the time, but I was like, well, I got my friend Angelo. Everything's going to be fine. And then I got in the car accident, and I was just devastated because my best oh. friend died, and then and then Brittany was gone. But years later, I can look back at it and be like, no, she was right. Maybe mm. she handled it 
differently than it should have gone down. Like she should have broken up with me when she knew that she was like, I, I'm, I love him, but I'm not in love with him. Oh. And I should have done the same, but I just loved our, our home together. And now we're, uh, we're friends. Uh, but I think, you know, with all the breakups that I've been through and I'm, you know, I know you've been in a marriage for a long time is that what I realize is I now know what I want. Um, I wrote out the perfect uh, spouse for me, and mm-hmm. I am being very, very selective. I mean, I'm not, I don't want to waste anybody's time. I'm not, I'm not just trying to get laid. I've done all that before. Mm-hmm. I want to mm-hmm. fall in love. I want what you have. I want somebody that I can bond with, that I can argue with, and then change as a person. Awesome. And I want to have kids. So you've got a fearless heart. I have a fucking fearless heart. You have to have one. I mean, you do have to. That's what I love about this song is that that no matter what it is, you know, you have to have a fearless heart. If you just want to pursue like art, I mean, especially if you want to pursue art, this is this being an actor, being a musician, being a comic, you're setting yourself up for a lot of failure. Mm -hmm. Okay. And if it hurts too much, you're not going to want to keep doing it. But part of it is you keep doing it. Even if, even though it hurts and something that would get me through like auditions when I would think like they want me to fail. They're just waiting, watching me waiting for me to fail. And like, uh, remember this casting director, Diane Crittenden said, no opposite people want you to do well. People want you to come in and be the best you can be. That's what we all want. We want to see the best come in. Yeah. You know, and that's, I think great, you know, in terms of like being inspiring and like giving yourself confidence when you go in a room. Yes, you're going to meet people who you're going to be like, oh, no, I'm pretty sure that guy wants me to fail. <laughs> like, yeah, for sure. He's, he's in the room. He's, he's looking at me. He's eyeballing me. Yeah. He knows He knows my credits. He's like, he's working on it. What's the, I just want to ask this question. It's not a part of this, but it, it actually it would be for you to get back on the horse. What's the worst audition you've ever had? I've had some like, I mean, I've auditioned for so many fucking times, so there's sure. been some bad ones. I just remember... Let's see. One of the funniest one was when I was first started out, I auditioned for this soap opera, and in the scene, there was a kiss. Okay. So now you did. Wait, please. Go, wait. go, go, go. So, so, so the, the, the audition was with the casting director, who was this like older, like New York lady, like with her glasses down at the end of her nose, like, okay, Tom, I'm going to read this with you. And I was like, okay, great. And so I'm on the other side of this big desk from her, and I'm sitting there and I'm reading it with her. And it got to the kiss part. I was like, okay, here I go. You know, I just got up out of my chair and started coming around her desk and she was just like reading with me and she looked up over her glasses as I came around the desk and she was like, what, what? Uh, Oh no, no, honey, honey, you don't have to actually kiss me. And I was like, oh, okay, okay. Well, well, I was ready to. (laughs) I need this part, please, dear God. I'll fuck you right here, Ethel. I will fuck the shit out of you. So uh, that was a crazy one. But like the worst one was right after my dad died, I... Uh, I was reeling from it. How long ago was this? This was uh, 2007. Okay. He had a heart attack. He died. Uh, It was all of a sudden. um, I mean, he was not in great shape. This guy was like my height, 6'2". He weighed 265. You know, he probably weighed more than that, but that's what he would always say he weighed. And he just was never really in shape. And then he started having heart problems and stuff. And then he tried to get healthy, goes to the YMCA, gets on the treadmill, has a heart attack. Oh, fuck. Right? So working out is not necessarily the best thing for your health sure is my takeaway uh but uh he so after that it's pilot season right after that and at this point i i was just on a show called saved that got dropped for some reason i was bummed about that and i just done a show on broadway so i was back in la and i'm like all right gotta gotta do the next show whatever it is and i got this script and it was awesome it was about this it was about baseball and i love baseball 
and it was from the the guy who wrote Bull Durham wrote this pilot. And oh yeah, dude, he did uh, Tin Cop. Yeah, he did a whole bunch of like sports type movies. Yeah, yeah, great. his I name don't know is Gibson, but he's, he's fucking man, but great. Anyway, I go and I read. I auditioned for him, and it was just this like where I was at, and I just was just kind of vulnerable, and it wasn't it didn't help me in the audition. I went in and I was so nervous walking in the door because this was a role I really wanted. And I knew I could just nail this. I wanted it so bad. And sometimes when you want something so bad, it kind of like takes over and you're not able to be like loose and like have like a good like read. Oh yeah. You're not present. You're not present. And I wasn't present and I blew it. I was so nervous. I was shaking. I was holding like my, my sheet, like shaking. And I just felt like some just amateur, you know, who had never done this before. I think that was like, for me, performance wise, that's one of the worst auditions. As far as like ridiculous auditions where it was just like, Oh shit, I'm never going to get that part. You know, uh, yeah, I've had those. What, what have you gone out for? Like, have you gone out for like uh, Aquaman or some shit like? That? <laughs> no, I did. I, I mean, I read for like Mister Fantastic and the Fantastic Four. I can see that. And I remember just like the material wasn't great, and I like walked out of there, and I was like, ugh. And then I, the casting director called me up later and was like, "Well, I really wanted you to book that, and, you know, and you came in and didn't give me anything." And I was like, "I didn't give you anything. What are you talking? Like, I felt like I did. Like, I felt like I did a good job." And yeah. I think just maybe the material wasn't that good. Sometimes if I'm like just not into it, I'm obviously probably not giving it my all. But you got a fearless heart, dude. Yeah, fuck yeah. And now we're at your worst song, Little uh-huh. Rock and Roller. <laughs> it's a lovely lullaby. Now, I don't know how you could hate this as a Let father. me just say that it, I don't hate this song. It's just my least favorite on this amazing album. I understand. No, there, I always say, what song would you leave off to make it perfect? And I could see, like, I wanted uh, the Think It's Over. And so I could see you wanting to pull this off. But... I, I did enjoy this one. It's it's not my favorite as well. Uh, I just love, there's like a synthesizer that comes in uh, on the second verse. It's at minute two, 20 seconds in. Just, you hear this build like right here. It's just making the song just carry much more depth. And it's it's really, it's a true story of how he felt being a touring musician and leaving his child to go on the road. Now, uh, you uh, go on these long shoots, and you have how many? Two kids. Two kids. You have yep. two kids. How do you deal with that when um, when you're on the road to stay connected? Uh, well, we would always kind of have this rule, like you know, three weeks is the max time away. You know, it, you know, if I'm on a film, uh, every three weeks we kind of either they come to me or I go to them, and then you know, sometimes that just becomes you know. So that's the rule. So you just try not to spend more than three weeks apart. So that that was always kind of the ground rule. The FaceTime really helps. You know, FaceTime is like such a great way to stay connected with people that we didn't have, you know, years ago. For sure. Um, although for a while it really made me feel weird because FaceTime is is odd, right? It's a weird feeling. It's like a Twilight Zone episode where I'm actually like not real, where I'm like a dad app. You know, like I feel like they're they've they've got the dad app, and I don't realize that I'm not real. You know what I mean? I yeah, thought oh it was yeah. like one of those weird because then they click it off, and I'm back in my lonely hotel room, and they have their whole life where they're together and they're happy. Um, uh, it's it's it hasn't it's not always great. Uh, I was in Bulgaria. I wasn't able to come home every three weeks because it was just too far. And uh, this is the John Claude Van Damme movie. <laughs> oh yeah, you told me about that, and it was rough because. Look, I've been able to be at big things that my kids have 
done, you know, I've been able to, so I'm lucky. But my daughter like graduated from elementary school and I missed it because I was in Bulgaria. But I got to it's watch It's elementary it. school. It's not high school. I get it. Dude. I know, get it. What is that? They, they don't even know what they Our doing. generation is so different from pre- previous generations. We are way more kid centric. So missing like the sixth grade graduation thing sounds kind of ridiculous. But these days, more and more, like we're becoming more about kids. Uh, I got to watch the whole thing though on FaceTime. You know, I mean, I wasn't there, but Jenny held up her phone and I watched. Oh, that's great. I'm sure the people behind that loved, loved her. What Um, I love, what I love about that is that this is because it's a true story about how Steve Earl felt when he called his toddler, Justin Van Zandt, um, when he would be on the road. Like, so what do you, his son's also a performer now. Yeah. yeah, yeah. Uh, What do you want to pass on to your kids? I think that I just want them to have good work ethics, you know, in terms of that. Uh, I want them to, you know, basically I want them to be help, healthy and happy and live long lives. Of course. Right? But like the obvious answer, but like they both are artists. Uh, Arlie is at Parsons right now studying art. Finn is in eighth grade, but he's sick artist. Like they're just both, neither one of them wants to be actors. I think each of them has done like one school play each and that was enough. Like where they were like, nope, that's not for me. Arlie sings and writes music as well. Um, they're they're both artsy. They're going to go into this field. They're going to, who knows if that'll even turn into going into the film business in some capacity. But you're encouraging that. You just encourage them to do what they want. You're putting stuff I in front of them. I want to give them what my parents gave me, which is like support and do what makes you happy. Like I think the greatest thing my parents gave me when I was pursuing acting was the opportunity that, right. You know, they were, they were supportive and they were like, we're, you know, and, and they put me through college, which was great. Yeah. My dad, uh, and my mom, well, really my mom, my mom supported me because I wouldn't be in the position I'm in right now if my mom didn't loan me money when I needed it. Right. Just like my car got booted, she would pay for it because it got booted a lot. <laughs> I got a lot of tickets. I haven't gotten one in a while, but I used to have them. They should, I've given so much money to Los Angeles <laughs> County that they should name a road after me because I like, seriously, like it's bullshit. So I, I completely agree. My mom has always believed in me when I got new faces in Montreal and I was having passport issues. She was like, I'm going to drive you through the border. Meet me in Vermont and we'll drive through. And she came. And when I headlined the Hollywood improv the first time she came and that's um, amazing. It's, it's It really is great. And I wish my dad was still alive not so he could support me, just so I could rub it in his fucking face. I'd be like, I told you, motherfucker. I told you. Yeah, I know I fucked up when I was younger, but I knew it. All right, Down the Road is the final song on the record. Uh, play the beginning of it, because it's so powerful. It's just, it's just Steve and his voice to open this song. This has become my favorite song on the record. I get it. Uh, I, it is so powerful, and the message is so fucking clear it's just uh it's about knowing something and someone is right for you but they're out there and it's just you know it might take a long time to find that person but just keep going down the road there's a very old jewish proverb uh that i I don't know who the fuck told me this but it's like the longer you with the wrong person the right person gets further away Mm. And I just love that. I mean, the lyrics are, because uh, the night is filled with strangers. All you need is one you know. And if she ain't the one you're after, keep on looking down the road. Uh, as we mentioned in, in in earlier part of this is that you've been with your wife for 21 years. Right. How did you know that your wife was the right one for you? 
I don't know. It was like something that I just couldn't analyze. I was trying to analyze everything in my life at that point, and yeah. uh, here she came, just someone who I really, really liked and uh, always had a crush on. She never really paid any interest in me, and, and then at one point, I don't know, just, we just started dating, and I knew. I knew she was one somehow, some way. It was just weird. She didn't know you were right. Nope. <laughs> no, she was like, oh, okay. Uh, yeah, I, I, I don't know. Um yeah. Did you do you have a do you, uh, uh, Jason said you had a story about uh, asking her parents uh, hand you were asking for her hand in marriage from your parent from her parents yeah so that- I wanted to do the traditional thing I got the ring and uh, her parents live out in Pennsylvania so I went out to see Steve Zahn at his place which is was about halfway between New York City and Jenny's parents town yeah. and then he drove us out there in his like Chevelle his 64 Chevelle which is really fun and then we got to uh we went to Jenny's mom's house and her stepdad and we I asked them permission and uh and then they wound up like getting the guitar out and singing and playing with Steve and finger picking and playing like uh, oh wow John John Prine songs it turned into like a like a hillbilly jump session they might have even played a, a steve earl song at that point and then we went over they to probably the, played a uh, little rocker yeah little <laughs> and rock like, and roller Fuck! oh come I on hate you. This I, song. I, I don't want to be with you anymore forget it uh and then i and then we drove over to the uh to the bar that uh bernie was bartending at her dad bernie and uh i, I went in i was so nervous to ask bernie yeah and, and bernie's he, her father her dad yeah and he was behind the bar and i walked in and i was like hey hey bernie he's like tom what are you doing here and i'm like i just can i ask you something just outside and he's like Sure. And he's like, yeah, he asked someone to cover him at the bar and he comes outside. He's like, why, why, why? He thinks something wrong. And I go, hey, I, I just want to ask uh, for, you know, your permission to, to marry Jenny. And he stared at me. He didn't say a word. And he turned around. He walked back in the bar. And I was like, what? And then he came right back out, like laughing, like, I'm just kidding. Oh, yeah. I was like, Jesus Christ, what this guy's sense of humor is killing me. Oh, my God. <laughs> hey, you. Do you have any plans this year? <laughs> How's that going? Do you get 2020? Well, welcome to a brand new podcast called 2020, where myself, Benny Goodman, and my good friends, Corey Pazin and Siobhan Cronin from the band Lost Symphony, also got 2020. And since the world ended this year, we decided why not just check in with some of our friends in the music industry and see how everyone's doing. We're going to get a candid look at life on and off the stage as well as the mindset of some of the most successful people in the entertainment industry. New episodes drop every Sunday and Wednesday at 9 p.m. Eastern. And you can listen at 2020-D.com, soundtalentmedia.com, or on your favorite podcast app. That's fu- It's fantastic. Do you want to do, do some facts? Yeah. Do you want to do some facts? Here we go. We're going to do some facts. Some facts and facts and facts. They're the album facts. <laughs> All right. Steve Earle ran away from home at the age of 14, as we mentioned earlier, to find his hero, Towns Van Zant, a hard-living country singer-songwriter. Who is your ta- uh, Towns Van Zant? If you were going to run away from home as a kid, who would you have wanted to try and meet? I think it's it's so weird, but it was it was Hanks. Hanks was my guy. I was like, that's the guy. I kind of see him as like, if he's doing it, I can do it. Because I was a huge Bosom Buddies fan. I was a huge, um, big bachelor party. Like those were, and I was like, that's the guy. That's why it was so 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 weird that he was the guy who cast me in my big break. My mom was like, 
I can't believe that this is happening. That it actually happened. Yeah. I, Holy shit, man. And I told him, I was like, listen, I'm just going to apologize ahead of time for anything weird I say to you because you are actually my hero. How, how, so how was that experience being able to work with him? I mean, well, at first I was just, yeah, like, I, like that. Like, I was just like, look, man, you know, you, for just so you know, I'm just your biggest fan. So sorry. <laughs> and then, uh, and then, yeah, he, he was like, look, as long as you don't try to copy me on set, I was like, I'm not going to try to copy you. Please don't like show me how to do something and get the entire crew to laugh and then expect me to follow you though. Yeah. You know, and he's like, all right, I promise I won't do that either. What was the best advice he gave you? He gave me so much good advice, but some of the, the top of the stuff that I still use now, I mean, certainly like less is more like on camera, less is more. He said, you think you're not interesting. You are trust that you just let the lines just come straight off your face. And, you know, that's camera acting. But then it was like other stuff where he would see me kind of being overwhelmed by like 120 people on a film crew around you doing different stuff. And I had never done this before. So I'm like, how do I help? Oh, can I carry this set of cables? You know, like, and he was like, dude, you have your job and just know your lines, be on time. And You're trying to do fucking like craft service. You know what shit. I mean? Like, like you stock bananas. I mean, coming like, from East Bridgewater, Massachusetts, and the, the Renaissance Fair, where everybody kicks in, everybody sure. does their part, <laughs> and you sweep up as well as you know acting the show. Help me grab the guillotine. We got to move it over to, for the for the two p.m. showing. You know what I mean? Hilarious. I was like overly like wanting to please, overly like you know helpful, and he was just like, "There's a reason why someone comes up to you and says, can I get you something?'" to drink or something to eat because we want you to stay right here and we In don't character yeah and we don't want to go looking for you and you know you don't need to go anywhere yeah and it's like this is a big machine you're a cog that's not an insult that's that's great advice so there's a quote from steve earl about this record i just thought i was writing a song that was going to open my tour and open my record uh it had such a utilitarian reason to exist for me that I thought that was it. So I was shocked when they made it a single and it, and I was shocked when it became a hit. Now, did you know that that thing you do was going to be huge? No, no, not at all. Like, uh, I remember being on, on uh, set one time and asking one of the crew members, I was like, do you think this movie is like, what do you think? And he was like, nah, I was like, really? I said, like, do you think it's going to like get nominated for any, I mean, I was just like, well, this is your first movie. And My you're first like, movie. I mean, I, I could be nominated for Best Supporting, at least a SAG award, right? I'm thinking that this is like <laughs> the biggest movie because it's Tom, because everybody who was working on it, Tak Fujimoto and you know Victor Kempster, like all these people who, who had been on Oscar-winning movies. Yeah, Tak, Tak is, the direct, is the DP for Silence of the Lambs, right? Yeah, and I'm like, do you think... I remember asking this like grip, like, do you think this movie will be nominated for any Academy Awards? And he was like, No. We weren't, except for song. All right. Um, <laughs> last one. Uh, Steve Earle recorded and performed Johnny Come Lately with The Pogues, which is a British Celtic band. Uh, most people wouldn't expect that kind of a, uh, what's the word I'm looking for? Collaboration. Who is the most random person you've worked with that, you know, that I wouldn't expect that you worked with? Oh my god! I did a pilot with Pam Anderson called Stacked that wound up going to the air, and I got replaced. 
by Elon Gold. Do you know Elon Gold? Oh, yeah, of course. Okay. So he, yeah, it was like, it's the only time I've ever been fired as an actor. Uh, I got cast in this Steve Levitan who did Modern Family after this. So this is before Modern Family. This is uh, Pam Anderson. It's reverse Cheers is the setup of the, sh- of the show. And Cheers, Diane, an intellectual, walks into a like everyman bar. Like, sure. like blue collar bar. This is a regular girl. Pam, not regular girl. Yeah, Pam Anderson is definitely not a regular. Not girl, regular. But, but, but more like, uh, you know, for lack of a better word, like a blue collar girl sure. walks into an intellectual bookshop, coffee shop. And uh, so I just, I wasn't right. I got cast in the part, but Steve Levitan, when he fired me, said, you're too charming. I'm firing you because you're too charming, which was hilarious Hollywood, uh, you know, backhanded compliment kind of thing. <laughs> Did you also do a film with Jean-Claude Van Damme? That would probably be the other weirdest like <laughs> pairing. That's actually the weirdest pairing. Why was it weird? Like besides that, I listen. I'm not shitting on Jean Claude, dude. I fucking love Bloodsport, uh, right? Kickbox. Like, I mean, JVD. Okay, so JCVD. Oh, is it JCVD? Yeah, JCVD. I the C. But he, you, everyone calls him JC. Like that. That is that is uh, how he likes to be referred to. Um, okay. <laughs> I mean, this is like this is a this is for a whole other podcast. We could talk about this entire like experience but just real quick the setup for this is that my friend john hyams he's the guy who had done universal soldier 3 and universal soldier 4 with john claude and his dad peter hyams who's like a known director in hollywood like he did uh time he did movies with john claude like time cop love that movie you know so much yeah and and he had also done just a ton of other like big studio movies and so peter who's like family to me because i've known john since college and Peter's going to do this movie called Enemies Closer in Bulgaria with Jean-Claude Van Damme. Which you talked about earlier, that you were in Bulgaria. Right. Yeah. And Orlando Jones plays one of the main characters, and I play the other main character. I basically am playing a park ranger on the border between U.S. and Canada, and a drug plane goes down in the lake, and... Uh, John Claude is the baddie. He's like the he's like this drug lord from Canada who comes down with his baddies to recover the drugs from the plane, and I'm like the park ranger who gets in his way, and then Orlando Jones, and then this is where the script is just horrible. That would have been a great movie right there, just sure. this park, park ranger having a like you know a charming park ranger, charming park <laughs> too charming, uh, you know protecting the park, and and Orlando. He's awesome, but his character was that he was trying to get revenge for his brother who had been in my outfit in Afghanistan. And it's just like, that's where it just gets so money and complicated, where my character is actually also supposed to be like a Navy SEAL. And I'm like, Peter, wouldn't this movie just be so much more interesting if I wasn't a Navy SEAL? Yeah. (laughs) The people don't look at me and go, Navy SEAL. Like... Park Ranger, yeah. Park Ranger, I could see 100%. I'm like, wouldn't that just be so much more who interesting? That, who knew that Park Ranger was so good with a knife? Because <laughs> there were these moments in the script where, like, first of all, Peter just straight up offered me the role, which was amazing. I, I was going to hang out with you, probably. I, I, which is, I want to just hang out with him, too. Like, it was a super fun experience. He calls me up. I'm at my daughter's softball game. I remember him telling me he wants me to do this, that he's not going to take no for an answer. And, uh... And then when he heard the children like making noise in the background playing softball, he was like, what is that sound? I'm like, it's my daughter's softball game. He goes, if there's one thing I hate, it's the sound of happy children. Like, he's kidding. Oh, for sure. And I was just like, <laughs> I'm like, Jesus Christ, Peter. 
<laughs> so I'm like, go go to the movie. But I mean, I'm reading the script, and there are these moments in the script where I have to like fight Jean Claude Van Damme. Yes, which is awesome. But like, I just didn't want to have to be like super good at fighting. Like that just didn't make fun. You're like, That's I already learned drums. I don't want to learn how to do jujitsu. And I'm like, <laughs> guys, just so you know, I'm not. I'm not like gonna look good against next to him. They were like, don't worry, he looks terrible now. You know, like. Uh, he, which he looked crazy by the way. Like he is a sweetheart. He, he does look crazy though. Just in his eyes, you mean? Like he's, he's, he just, and he would like, we would be getting our hair and makeup done at the same time. And he'd be looking in the mirror and he'd go, I don't know what to tell you, Henry, because my character's name was Henry. He would call me Henry all the time. I don't think he knows my real real name. name? He's like, Henry, I don't know. I look in the mirror and I see grandma. And I'm like, Yeah, I don't even know what that means. I guess he doesn't like the way he looks anymore. But he he was just so crazy. So he we had these crazy fight scenes. And one of them was the last big fight scene is on this boat, on this lake. Yeah. And there's we're actually shooting on this reservoir. So there aren't any like homes or anything on the on the shore. So at night with no homes and no lights and stuff, it's just pitch black on this on this lake, on this reservoir. And by the way, this is how messed up Bulgaria is. We did tons of stuff on this reservoir, which I would assume is drinking water at some point, right? Sure. That's what a reservoir is. We were like blowing stuff up, lighting things on fire. It was crazy. There's no way we were supposed to They don't to be have an EPA, it. I don't think. I, I don't think so. <clears throat> so we're like in boats. We're in this big chase scene. We're in this big fight on a boat in this one moment where... The only lights are the like fog lights on the on the like the the roll bar of this boat, sure, shining down into Jean Claude's eyes while he's fighting me. And the one thing that my friends told me before I did this movie, my friends who had done movies with him before, they were like, "Just be careful because he's known to hit and kick people for real during fight scenes, just because he gets just he gets off on it, probably. Either it's like get- a dominance thing. He's trying to show he's alpha." They're like, they're like, he's not going to like intentionally like hit you. He just kind of like isn't always in control. He doesn't stop short. He, he, yeah, he starts, he starts, I've seen him throw punches and stuff. I mean, I can imagine. So for, so literally (laughs) first take, first fight in the boat as we're flying across this reservoir and pitch dark lights shining in his eyes. Of course, he just hits me right in the face, punches me. (laughs) And then he stops and he goes, oh, I'm so sorry, Henry. And I'm like, it's, it's, it's okay, it's okay. Let's just keep going. I don't want to crash on the side of the reservoir here. I, it was just nuts. It was no one steering the boat. The only other people in the boat was the director and the camera operator, and no one was steering the, the boat while we did this fight. We were just like flying across. I, um, it, it was it was like it was like a seven week experience, all nights shooting in the woods with a huge language barrier. Oh, I can imagine. I was there without... Orlando Jones brought his wife and his kid. He had a great time. No other Americans on the movie except for Peter, who stayed in a completely different hotel, who I didn't really like hang out with much unless I was on set with him. So it was just me trying to find food in this strange city at night with this huge language barrier. And I eventually, I think I was going to lose my mind. I really did come to a point where I was so lonely and pissed and freaked out at getting punched in the face and I walk to set and I sit down next to some crew guy 
who's Bulgarian, and I start telling him about all this shit that's going on and how freaked out I am. And he goes, uh, I don't speak English. And I go, I know you don't speak English, but <laughs> you are going to listen to my story. I am going to tell you what's going on. And he was like, okay. And he like rolled a cigarette while I just like vented. I can't thank you enough for coming on here, man. Thank this you for so having much me. fun. Uh, did you enjoy the record? This is now one of my favorite records. Nice, man. For sure. Without I, a doubt. That's basically why I do it. And uh, and I mean, this is weird because this album obviously paved the way for my favorite bands like Uncle Tupelo, uh, My Morning Jacket, Wilco, oh, for sure. Sunvolt, like all the alt-country Jayhawks, like all those bands that came out of this were definitely inspired by Guitar Town. I, I, I couldn't agree with you more. Yeah. This was great. Thank you so much, Tom. Cheers. Tom Everett Scott, ladies and gentlemen. If you want to find him on Twitter, it's at Tom E. Scott. And on Instagram, he's the Tom Everett Scott. Don't forget to watch his show, I'm Sorry, on True TV, Wednesdays at 10. That's tonight, everybody. But also, you can binge watch the first season on Netflix. So go and do that as well. Tweet at him, Instagram him, and say you heard him on the 500. And you watch this show. I'm sorry. It's fantastic, man. I love Andrea Savage. Please help get that show another season because it's so fucking dope. Also, we have a Patreon. The 500 Club, guys. It is the shit. You get the podcast a day early. You get free merch. And you're going to get a brand new podcast just for the Patreon people each week starting very soon, guys. If you sign up for it, you would really help us out. It takes a lot of work to go into this podcast. I have to pay a lot of people. And uh, I love making this. And I want to keep it free. And we don't have ads yet. So whatever you can do to support the 500 would be amazing. You can get all the details for our Patreon membership and options to support the 500 at the500podcast.com backslash club. Now. I mentioned my buddy Morty. I want to give a big shout out to Morty Coyle, everybody. He's helping me with this show. Uh, one of my my writers on the show. I love this guy to death. Follow him on Twitter at DJ Morty Coyle. And he's got something he does with his daughter, B that is so great. So you can check out him and his daughter singing many songs from the 500 list on their Instagram at B and Daddy Cartoons. B is spelled B-E-A. All one word. B and Daddy Cartoons, guys. Follow them. Watch him and his daughter sing. And listen to my rabbi on his podcast called Yid Nation. So, we just listened to Steve Earle from 1986. Now, here is an artist that is directly influenced by the album. And they sent their music to the 500 for us to play it. Because they have been listening to the shit I've been saying. And I'm trying to help and launch careers, everybody. From Grand Rapids, Michigan, it's Barrel Bones. The track is Rebel Threat. Shout out to my man Long Beach, a.k.a. Scott Benting, for submitting his music. And if you want to submit music and were influenced by one of these upcoming albums or artists, send your music to 500podcast at gmail.com. 
I want to play your music. I want to help you out. You got to send it to me. We're getting more and more in. So big ups to fucking Barrel Bones, guys. www.barrelbones.com to find them. And we'll also post them on the website. Next week is D'Angelo week. And man, is it a fucking good one. With his 2000 release, Voodoo. So y'all got some homework to do. Stay fleecy. Everybody in your crew identifies as either Big Mac Burger, McNuggets, or McCrispy Sandwich. But you're the filet fish Sandwich all day. That crispy fish, that savory tartar sauce, that melty cheese, that pillowy bun. Yeah, you get it. Every time. And if you love the filet fish right now you can catch two of the classics you love for just $6. Limited time only. Price and participation may vary. Cannot be combined with any other offer. Single item at regular price. Ba-da-ba-ba-ba. Hey there, I am Johnny Christ from Avenged Sevenfold, and I've got a podcast called Drinks with Johnny you're going to want to check out. I sit down with a bunch of different people from all different walks of life, from professional wrestlers to actors, comedians, fighters, musicians, everything in between. I'm just looking to make some friends and have a good time doing it. So if that sounds like something you're into, go check out Drinks with Johnny, streaming everywhere now. Next Chapter Podcasts.